Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. Hello and welcome to the show. The topic tonight is Global Shift Now, a call to evolution. And our guest tonight is Dr. Irvin Laszlo. We're going to bring him on in just a minute. Wow. (laughs) Every week, um, when I reflect on what's happened during this 2020 year, every single week we have this show, just new and different things have unfolded. There's so much upheaval. There's so much upheaval in the collective consciousness. And I suggest to you that is an enormous gift. And that's why I think tonight's episode is very timely. Very timely. I suggest to you the next uh, several months to several years will be some of the most epic history ever created on planet Earth. And time will tell best, won't it? (laughs) But we're not just bystanders in all this. We don't just stand on the sidelines and, and eat the popcorn and look with excitement in our eyes with uncertainty. We are creators. We are, we are the creators of our human future. We can bring our intention and attention into the mix, into the dynamic. Um, it's really a very, very opportune time. Now, tonight's episode was recorded a while back. I believe uh, Irvin was in Italy at the time. So tonight is a pre-recorded episode, but I think you're going to like it. Um, Dr. Laszlo, our guest, is he's so tireless. Um I I find him very, very um, energetic and motivated and passionate about helping humanity become more conscious about what's happening in our world today. So I think we should jump right to it. Um, the, again, tonight the topic is Global Shift Now, A Call to Evolution with our guest, Dr. Irvin Laszlo. The message of Global Shift Now, a call to evolution, is that we have reached a total range of evolutionary transformation, which for all practical process is no longer reversible. This is a global shift, the transformation that reaches beyond economic and informational globalization to take dimensions of a global civilization. Our guest tonight is an author, co-author, or editor of more than 100 books and have appeared in 24 languages. Dr. Laszlo also published several hundred papers and articles in scientific journals and popular magazines. His autobiography, Simply Genius, Another Tales from My Life, was published in June 2011. Gaia TV produced a special series on his life in the Heritage Cycle and a one-hour special for PBS television 
is in preparation under the title, The Work and Inspiration of a Modern-Day Genius. You can learn more about Dr. Laszlo at LaszloInstitute.com, L-A-S-Z-L-O Institute.com. Now let's go to the episode. I think you're going to like this. Welcome to the show, Irvin. Less wonderful to be here again. You know, I really like your book, The Glo- uh, Global Shift Now, A Call to Evolution. 2020 has been such uh, a year of upheaval. How does this chaos um, fold into the evolution of humanity at this time? Well, it's an opportunity. Opportunity for change and evolution means change in a in a positive direction, the direction which is not artificial, synthetic, short term, but is something that is part of the evolution of this planet, of of life on the planet, and life in the universe. So it's it's an opportunity to 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 align ourselves with the. Uh, the rhythm of nature, the rhythms of the of, of the universe, is something that is also in us. It's an opportunity because the old, the hold of the old has been loosened, and the new has not been put in its place yet. So we really face alternatives, and the big challenge is to choose an evolutionary alternative. Very nice. So many people are finding their own personal life turned on their head, and and perhaps their job, perhaps their their family, or even their health has has come up against conflict and change. What are some of the new attributes we can look for in ourselves as individuals? What are, I mean, evolution uh, suggests. Um, as you say, a change for the better. A lot of times when we worry, we can think about the worst thing that can happen. What are some of the new possibilities that might not be so obvious to people as this change happens? Well, I would just choose two, but we can have discuss any number, a larger number of, of positive principles or alternatives or, or hallmarks of the change. But two that I would say are one is connection. All things are connected with one another. That is an old adage, but it's now been shown in the physical sciences and quantum sciences to be typical of the real world. Nothing is absolutely divided. Nothing is separate. Einstein said this already. Separateness is an illusion. So I would say connection the deep fundamental connection, which is not necessarily conscious, but is there in our subconscious, is there in us when we go deeper into ourselves. We feel it, we know it, we, it appears to us as belongingness, as oneness, as love. All of these are expressions of a connection that we have with each other, with others, and with nature. The other attribute I would say an element is is vital is consciousness. We have a unique property uh, on on this planet. 
it's not entirely that others would not have consciousness, but they're not as evolved consciousness as ours, as human consciousness. We are not only conscious of the world, we are also conscious of our being conscious. That means that we can direct, we can orient, we can master the way we perceive the world, way we respond to challenges in the world. That's a unique advantage. You can't have, uh, you don't have any other species, not even the anthropoid apes, the highest, uh, or whales, or other forms of life that we think are evolved as well. They don't have it to that extent as we have, to the extent that we can become aware of our actions, of our thinking, aware of our relationships to the world, and then guide, modify this, this, this behavior in a way that is good for us and good for the world. So I think these things together, connection and consciousness, gives you the basic tools for guiding our steps beyond the crisis, beyond the upheavals, finding a better way forward. Also, as you say, we have all the great challenges, our personal lives are turned topsy-turvy, our, our business, our professional engagements, our livelihood may be challenged. But you can put it in the positive frame that this is also at the same time to create a change in us because we are now have a, 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 le a level of freedom that we didn't have before because the world around us is not dead set in its ways as it was. Now it really is more open to change. And if we just put together this idea of openness to change in the world, this Gandhi's idea, who said, be the change you want to see in the world, then you say, yes, be the change you want to use the openness in nature for positive change. That is the challenge. It's difficult perhaps to, to perceive at first, but if we go deeply into ourselves, we notice Yes, that we have a deeper inclination to love, to belongingness, to oneness. And that is the way to go forward. I like that. You talk about our inner self connecting with the oneness that we find within ourselves. So often when we look outside of ourselves, perhaps the media is showing us upheaval and chaos and and separation how can we be more conscious with the notion of connection um when it's not that prominent in the media i mean it, it, we have opportunities to interact with others in our day-to-day -day lives but a lot of times the the story the narrative of our human condition is portrayed by the media as division, as separation, as conflict. How can we be more conscious about our connections? Well, the problem is that the major media, the major public media, is operating on an older view of the world. And the view of the world where I am here, you are there, we are only connected, if at all, by some mutual interests, and those are temporary, and these are always subject to being set forth. If some, the world changes, we change, then we no longer have common interests. 
then we have to be out to guide our own interests. <clears throat> I think the first thing is, and I say this in my new book, the first thing is to re-examine our beliefs, what we really think we are, who we really think we are, and what we really think the world is. Because we are full, we are loaded with mistaken, misguided beliefs, thinking that this is a mechanistic world, that this is a jungle, to use the biological, the Darwinistic term for this, or our explanation for it. It's a jungle where only the fittest survives, that everything is, everything and everybody is out for himself and herself. And that kind of a belief is really not conducive to creating a better world, not conducive to picking up the opportunity, to seizing that opportunity that we have before us. Because then we are simply out for ourselves and we, and we can destroy the rest of the world by the same token. I would add here a very simple and basic principle. It's an old principle, but it's now so relevant as never before. And that is what is good for the whole, for the ensemble, for us, together with nature, with other people. What is good for that whole is good for each of us individually, because we are all part of the world, of the, of the whole. We are not separate. We are not only out to, to, to pursue our own interests. If we can look at the whole and try to find out what makes the whole a viable, a flourishing system around us, then it become, we are part of that. And then we also look for our own interests. But the old principle, the operative principle of the, of the old paradigm in the world is that what is good for me is hopefully, not really know, but let's hope that it's also good for the rest. And that's because somehow we say the market distributes the benefits. Adam Smith said that. Or someone in nature eventually finds the balance. But never mind, the rest, just do your own thing. Just pursue your own interest. Put yourself first. Or as we have seen the recent political slogan also, America first. It was the same slogan as Hitler's Germany had. Uh, where it says Deutschland über alles, that which meant Germany above all, you know. This kind of short-sighted principle of I do my thing and I pursue my own good, and then let's see if the rest will somehow work along. It doesn't work out. We see that there is no invisible hand that distributes the benefits. The, the rich become richer, the powerful become more powerful. There is a growing penury. And now there is also a worldwide crisis, the crisis of the rich and the poor, the powerful and the powerless alike. And all this because we are not taking care of how we act together, how we form a larger system, a larger oneness. We only took care of our immediate interests. And that creates all these conflicts, all these challenges. It's time to change. Nice. You know, the... Uh, our ancestors have had a, a dream, perhaps, a desire, a hope that humanity would move into a more harmonious, a more um, vibrant, a more healthy uh, dynamic. When, when we look at the opportunities that we're going through now in this, in this um, immense change, it, it seems like 
what we're really searching for is in our own neighborhood. I mean, the, the world I experience, so to speak, is the world in my environment. Now, certainly the media can be brought to me um, through through uh, communication, but when we talk about a a new earth, so to speak, a heaven on earth, so to speak, uh, a much more vibrant and and um, encouraging narrative. What does it look like at the community level? I mean, our, like our neighborhood, our our own local tribe, if you will. Whether it's a distributed system, a system which is, doesn't concentrate on one part alone, at, at, at the, possibly at the detriment of the other parts. The whole, the whole is what counts. You know, the a German philosopher in the 19th century already, Hegel said, the whole is the true. Das Wahre ist das Ganze, he said. And since then, there has been so many times reinforced this idea. But this idea came from spirituality and from science, from, um, uh, from a deeper insight and, and from philosophy. It did not come from science. It, did not, it was not supported, really, by science. And this has changed. Because now we see that the Darwinian principle is not the final truth. It's not really the case that in nature the fitness is the strongest or the strongest survives. It turns out that the most cooperative, the most collaborative is that survives, not only survives, but can flourish. And in the, in the physical world, it also turns out that we are not separate bits of atoms and, and configurations of atoms and quanta and molecules who create the world. We are creating the world as, as a coherent whole. And as you say, the ancient traditions had this notion. They operated on the principle that the world is somehow is harmonious. The harmony is built into the world. This is a very basic principle in Eastern philosophy. You know, the, the search for harmony. And interestingly enough, it's still there. It's there in the politics in Japan. It's still there also behind the, the, the field, but still being applied in the politics of China as well. Deep down, there is a search for coherence everywhere. This is a felt, this is a felt image. This is something that we perceive. And this particular perception is something that we can recover by, by allowing our deeper ego, our deeper sense, not a separate ego, but a collective ego, the one that joins us with other people, to have allowing that to speak. It is possible because it is deeply in us. You know, it, lately it has turned out, I mean, lately I say the last 10, 20 years, it has turned out that the old principle, that the whole universe was based on a series of random interactions, only guided by me mechanistic laws. And that these random interactions would somehow create the physical world. And this turned out to be as unlikely to use the, the phrase of a, famous mathematical physicist, uh, Fred Hoyle. He said this is about as likely as that a hurricane blowing through a scrapyard would assemble a working aeroplane. <laughs> so it's not particularly likely. Right. Well, the inherent creativity of nature is, is very apparent. 
the the diversity the the really nature has this tireless desire to express itself in ever evolving ways it seems to me that that our culture um, would benefit from moving away from the the pyramid or the the collective mindset in the sense of institutions like the military industrial complex. We need to make bigger bombs so we can blow up more people at once. And, and we'll spend trillions of dollars with that mindset. If we look at the collective um, narrative, the collective personality, if you will, to, to move our attention away from kind of the old posturing between countries, posturing really with natural resources, it, if we break that apart and dismantle it and take that... Um, into a more of a a local mindset of support of the human being. In other words, for me, I'm fascinated. I can open a phone book and there's 20 pages about how I can get my car fixed. But how I get electricity, there's only one number I can call. There's only one power company. Or like uh, gasoline. I can have a thousand gallons of crude oil, but I cannot translate that to gasoline unless I have a refinery. What I'm getting at is a lot of our, a lot of how we receive electricity, how we receive petrol to move in our lives is, is dictated by these huge institutions, so to speak. It seems like those it would serve us to dismantle those into more of a local resource where anything I needed I could get within five or ten miles of my home and whatever I lost I could recreate from scratch. Kind of a uh, a holistic model of resources, if you will. What kind of changes do you see happening um, for the everyday human as far as the the resources they have to live their lives. Well, you are talking about the, the possibility and the alternatives of centralization versus decentralization. Right, yes. We're uh, just putting all our eggs into one basket, always in every single case. There could be different baskets, but they're always putting it into the biggest basket and the biggest dominates. We have been operating on the principle that we can do anything as long as it makes money, as long as it doesn't overtly break the law, and as long as it doesn't obviously have produced these benefits and harm, damages in, in, in the immediate time and in the immediate environment. We can do anything. It's all good because we also our innovation, it's our, our creativity. Let's make it work. And on this principle, we have created a world that sub-optimizes, that will be the most technical term, sub-optimizes the whole system because it creates an optimization only for one part and neglects the others. We do anything, we do anything that is good for us as long as we can able to do it, do it, and not don't ask what further consequences there are of it. You are already asking, 
why is that world that we have created so centralized, so much dependent on big power structures, political structures, economic structures, and they interfere with an ecology. The web of life, web of life, the ecology of this planet is not centralized. There is no central power there who would direct it. Everything does its own thing. And together, somehow, the whole world is being created. Because ultimately, we have this famous saying, this famous adage, ultimately, we are all one. We have, deep down, we know that. And nature operates on this oneness principle. Humanity has forgotten it. We have created a world which is good for one and not necessarily good for the others. Big business has gone in the wrong way, or business altogether has gone the wrong way. Big business is an expression of the wrong way. Originally, the captains of industry, Andrew Mellon, Carnegie, Ford, all these people have considered themselves as benefactors of humanity. And they said what they're doing is good for people, good for society. This has gone out the window, sort of. What is good is to make the most profit in the quickest possible way and compete and outcompete the, the competitors. This has become the motto. And as a result, the resourceful businesses, the resourceful leaders, the winners have gathered more and more power and they sub-optimized, as I say, the rest of the, the, the world itself. They've created a disbalanced, unbalanced world in which, which serves the immediate interests of a few and neglects the longer term interests of the whole. So business is not there just to serve its own profit. These famous principles by Samuelson, you know, that the only task of business leaders is to ensure the benefits for the shareholders and there's no other responsibility. Operating on this has created a few giant businesses and has neglecting the interest in the very possibility of operating for a host of others, for the decentralized businesses. We no longer have neighborhoods, just as you say, where we can have all that we want, all that we need satisfied. There are a few points in the, on the globe where this is still possible, local environments, communities that take matters in their own hand. But the large cities, the industrial environments, the so-called advanced world, technologically advanced world, is centralized, highly centralized. And the big new technologies of communication, instead of just favoring the communication and distribution of benefits, they favor the ones who control the technologies. And this has got to change. If it would not have been the crisis of by a virus, it would have come some other way because this was a totally unbalanced and unsustainable world. So actually, the crisis of the, of the virus is something that forces the hand of nature, the hand of evolution. It makes us sit up and think, what, how else can we run our, run our lives? Just as you do. If many people would start posing these questions that you do, we would come up with better answers, because the answers are in us. They are not difficult to find. The answers are in our oneness, in our consciousness. If we apply to that, we'll find them. Well, there's there's the notion of 
the pyramid, which is like a monolithic um, structure that's dictated, if you will, from the top. And then there's the notion of the honeycomb, where each cell is um, equal to all other cells. So it's, it's it's much more level playing field, so to speak. When we when we dismantle the the pyramid structure of of institutions and businesses that influence so many people, but yet are decided by so few people. Uh, while you were talking, it it reminded me of uh, an example in Los Angeles. They were trying to figure out how to provide water for the millions of people that live there. And the old school thinking was, well, we can build a dam and make a reservoir. And this this young man comes in and says, why do we need a monolithic dam, so to speak, paraphrasing? Why don't we have thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of, of storage tanks in everyone's yard? And... Um, distribute how we store the water. That's kind of an example of what I'm talking about as far as the honeycomb um, perspective of solving problems where the need of the individual is is accommodated in within their locale, close to their their living, close to their home. So there's if something happens on the other side of the world, i.e. oil wars or the cost of oil going up, it doesn't ripple into their everyday life. Well, if we take a step back and we look at the the human being, I mean, here we are, we're two humans talking about the evolution of our culture, evolution of the planet. What are some of the metrics? What, I mean... If I'm going to observe society, what are some of the new things that I'm going to see in the metrics of humanity as we evolve into this global shift? Well, the shift is from global uh, external reliance to local self-reliance. Basically, self-reliance, not separation not cutting ourselves off from the rest, but constructing, working together with others in a way that we are connected, but we are no longer dependent for everything that happens to us and everything that we need on outside sources. Rely on ourselves as much as we can. Rely on our local resources. The example of water, you know, exactly is right. Everyone, every family, every individual should have access to water don't have to go to, to actually go into supermarkets and buy water. It's somehow ridiculous. When we, here we are in nature. Nature is all around us. We could tap the sources of the resources of nature. We don't have to concentrate everything for the profit because the profits for the bottled water is goes to a few giant companies, usually does. And it's the same with everything else. It's all our resources. We all hand over the profits hand over the power to the to the business interests, and the business interests operate on the short term. Whatever is good for me is good for the rest. There was a famous saying you might remember; it was a longer time ago, when uh, Charlie Wilson, who was then president of General Motors, has testified in Congress, and he uttered these words: 
what is good for General Motors is good for the country, you know, is good for the United States, he said. And that was a principle that I said, only favor the local, the, the, favor the individual company, never mind its effect on the rest. Think of the United States as a whole and think how its resources could be used by all people living here. Then you think differently than if you would say that it's, but it's good for General Motors or good for any large company, Coca-Cola or whatever, it will be necessarily good for the rest. Let's pull together and take hand into hand, in hand, our resources and become more reliant. As you mentioned, this whole example, I think it's extremely important. You know, don't hand over the very control of our essential resources to outside profit-driven interests. Take things into your own hand. Now is a crisis that upsets the system, that upsets the established habits, consumer habits, and production systems, and raises the attention, raises attention to the fact that there are alternatives. There are other methods of producing resources and accessing resources, not necessarily the concentrated, centralized one. So the message is here. Think of yourself as being part of the larger system. Think of yourself being reliant within that system and not being at the mercy of outside interests. For so many generations, there's been um, a kind of a continual um, platform of war, of conflict, and in our in our media today, we see many examples of conflict um, in the streets, uh, divisiveness in our politics, racism, etc. Peace, the notion of peace will not force itself. It's against the inherent nature of peace to use force. If we're going to have peace in our human demeanor, if we're going to have peace in our in our human society, in our human culture, how do we how do we move our own individual selves to peace? If if peace must be chosen since it will not force itself, how can we live in such a chaotic world and yet still um, discover ways to be at peace within our own being. Well, the world may seem chaotic at first sight, but the world is not monolithic. There are so many things are happening, so many new cultures are arising, including the culture of, of self-reliance, the culture of oneness, the culture of cooperation, and the culture of peace. These are all elements of a changing world. And ultimately we find to find peace in us. If you recognize that deep down, we are an organism, a system that's created for, co for cooperation, for being together with others. We are not separate little, little wheels and cogwheels in a giant system. We are really part of that overall system, which, and the overall system is harmonious. The overall system, when it left to its devices, when it's allowed to evolve, then it evolves toward cooperation, toward harmony, toward alignment. And that is a recognition, recognizing the good, not only the surface. Of course, what's news first is the media is what's, what's tragic, what's striking, 
or dramatic, and that tends to be always a negative. But that, that's not all there is. There is also a wish to, to cooperate, a wish to join together. And the technologies, the communication technologies are there to serve this. But we have to find it. We have to find it in us, not outside. There is nobody who would direct us to that. Every, everything and everybody who could direct anything would direct itself first, would direct its own benefits first. The people themselves, we have to come together and recognize in ourselves that evolution means toward peace, toward oneness, toward harmony, and ultimately toward love. That's the real evolutionary tendency. And it's in us, up to us to find it and to act in alignment with it. Beautiful words. I love this. Well, one last thought to contemplate. When we talk about the evolution of humanity, in in your last dialogue, you talked about that inner aspect of ourselves. As the old systems dismantle, as the old systems crumble, and new systems are being born in our human narrative, how does the individual, I mean, imagine a listener listening to the show whose soul, whose consciousness is seeding this person with a new model of farming or education or agriculture or or business, how do we birth that inspiration from within us and create outside of us in the human narrative, how do we become the seeds of the new possibilities? Well, I have developed my life, at least in the last 20 years or so, to developing what I call a new paradigm. And it's not an artificial paradigm. It's a paradigm of what there truly is, which means connection, which which means toward unity. And this now is reinforced by developments in the sciences, especially in the quantum physics, quantum biology, quantum psychology also. All these sciences are talking about interconnectivity and harmony of the overall system. We are not separate little atoms. We are part of a field, of a larger information field, which has all the elements that we need to live, to thrive. But we have to discover that field in us. I call it the Akashic field. Traditions have called it the the God field, the Brahman, the the Buddha field. It can be different names given to it. The, The Tao, you know, and or the deep spirituality that is there in the Old Testament in the Western world as well. So this sense of, of divinity, divine spark, if you like, which is there in every atom, which big science, great scientists like Max Planck and Einstein and Schrodinger and others have always been talking about, that there is something more to it than just blind mechanical laws operating in the world. There is something mysterious and whole and oriented, governing that is actually there in the world. I call it this holistic or holotropic attractor that attracts all things from the atoms to galaxies toward searching for integrity, integrality, toward unity, rather than separation and conflict. Separation and conflict is a mistaken human trait. 
nature is, does not separate and does not create conflict. If there is conflict, it tends to overcome it always in its natural way. So go back, partly yourself, partly look to the new sciences, to the new concepts. There is a new paradigm. There is a holistic paradigm arising in the sciences, and it's more needed more than ever. And if you allow your own spirituality, your own deeper self to surface, you will find that that paradigm is not just speculation. It really is in you. It's part of you, part of your deeper self. Call it the soul, call it your spirit, but it is there. It's there in the atom, it's there in your brain, it's there in your whole body, and it's there in your community as well. Let's find that together, because that's the way forward, the only way. Well, Irvin, you've you've really written a wonderful book, and it's a very timely book for this for this immense change we're going through, Global Shift Now, A Call to Evolution. To me, it's obvious the passion that you have to convey this message, the, the compassion that you have for humanity. You are, person, you are personifying the very elements of change, and I want to just applaud you for the work that you are doing the books you are writing the consciousness you are seeding into our human narrative what a what a, a powerful persona you are it's always a pleasure having you on the show do you have any closing thoughts for our audience my wish is there will be more people in the media like les jensen because then we could have this kind of discussions not a question of a single personality. It's a question of the idea surfacing and being discussed and eventually taking hold of our, of our spirit, of our consciousness, and guiding our actions. With, help, with the help of people like yourself, the media can change, and then our consciousness change, changes, and then finally our world will change and for the better. Beautiful words. Irvin, I want to thank you for being our guest on the show. It's been such a pleasure having this conversation with you. Les, it was my pleasure, and I hope we'll set it forth and that you set forth your work because it's very important. We've been talking with Irvin Laszlo about his book, The Global Shift Now, A Call to Evolution. timely this topic is. I just love how the synchronicity of the universe brings things like this around. So again, his uh, Dr. Irvin Laszlo's webpage is laszloinstitute.com L-A-S-Z-L-O institute.com Yeah, I want to ask you a question. Was was Moses really lost when he spent 40 years finding a place for the freed slaves to live? I mean, how do you wander around for 40 flipping years? I know they didn't have GPS yet, and maybe their maps weren't so good, but why is it that it took 40 years of so-called wandering in order for Moses to find a place for the freed slaves to live. And the reason I bring this up is right now, right now, today, 
today's the day before Thanksgiving here in the United States. We're in the thick of the storm. There's there's so much upheaval in the election process, in the um, transformation of of the presidential position. There's a lot of unknowns still. There's uh, we're we're in another round of lockdowns, you might say, from the uh, coronavirus. And right now, right now in this storm, in the storm, now is the time we should be looking at the metrics of what our system has been. What is the metrics of our past that we would want to change? Because it's in the storm that you can see the integrity or lack of integrity of the systems that you have for yourself. I'll give you an example that for me is pretty obvious. Small business owners. Here in Denver, Colorado, in the United States, there was a recent list of small restaurants that were closing for good. These are restaurants that are closing their door for good because there wasn't a business model that would work under the COVID restrictions. And so restaurants are an example. Small ma and pa shops. Um, the Main Street store where you go to buy goods and services. These kind of places are collapsing. And yet, if you, if you look in the media, the, the big corporations, the Amazons, the Googles, the, the giant organizations are making billions of dollars during this pandemic. Well, okay, I'm going to raise my hand and say, uh, that pretty much sucks because that, that totally trashes the local dynamic. It totally trashes the local resources that we were talking about on the show. How is it that um, Walmart is elbow to elbow with shoppers, but the small mom and pa shops are having a tough time? Or we can pack ourselves on an airplane, but we can't go to a funeral or we can't go to church. What I'm getting at, I'm not talking per se about the virus itself. I'm looking at the resilience of the system overall because the the next thing that strains and stresses the economy might not be related to a virus. So I'm not talking about the virus. I'm talking about the metrics of how we do things. So if something like a virus comes along and challenges us, if something like that comes along, how can we make a more resilient economy, a more resilient education system, a more resilient agricultural system? That's, that, that was, it's, it's a key factor in and when we think about the notion of heaven on earth, we're talking about heaven on earth. What would heaven seem like? If I'm waiting in a gas line, I don't know if some of you remember in the 80s, there, uh, there was a, a gas shortage, and you would wait in line for a long period of time to get your chance to fill up your car. 
because the gasoline came from some other country in gigantic boats called tankers. And if anything happened to that supply chain, the, the whole thing tipped over. Or another example is pick a recession. In the 1930s, there, the Great Depression came from the collapse of the financial system. And in 2008, we had a very similar thing. These are, these are very large-scale systems that they really tie us together karmically. What happens to the system as a whole affects every one of us. And that's a really good measuring stick. If what happens as a whole affects every one of us, there's not much resilience in it. There's not much roll with the punches, if you will. I think one of the things we need to come to terms with is the notion of um, how cheap things are. When we go to buy something, maybe it's on Amazon or not, or whatever, they push, here's the cheapest product. You're looking for a, a Wankel Dankus or whatever. And we've searched and found the cheapest product. You can get what you want for the amazing low price of, the amazing low price of, the low price of. If we make the priority of what we buy the cheapest, we're ensuring the that the employees who get paid the least have the best chance of being paid. Think about that. If every time I buy a product, I buy the cheapest product, I'm paying the lowest paying workers that made that product. I'm reinforcing the system of paying people the the lowest possible amount to keep my cost down so I can sell the cheapest product that doesn't serve humanity. It doesn't help us as a, as a collective culture to put so much emphasis on cheap, cheap, cheap. So another example, what if you want to start your own ladder company. It kind of uh, follows along with the notion of cheap. If you want to start your, making your own ladders, if you're going to compete with the rest of the world, and what's going to decide whether your ladders sell or not is the price of the ladder, how cheap that you can make the price of your ladder, how are you going to even be able to introduce yourself to an industry? How are you going to be able to introduce your goods or services if the industry is already taken over by these monolithic systems that, that extract value based on volume? The, Walmart does such an extreme volume that they can cut their prices, and that means in order to be able to compete with them, you have to get close to the same volume. Why are we idealizing this type of a structure? In order for us to have a resilient um, future, a resilient narrative, a, a resilient paradigm going forward, 
It's during the storm. It's during the storm right now that we can look around and say, what's not working? And again, it doesn't have to relate to the virus. It just relates to the to the impact of, of what we're bumping up against because the next the next challenge could be from something completely different. If we learn from the challenge that we're in now, if we recognize the mechanics of what's wrong with the system we have now, now, in the wisdom of what we see that's happening in the storm now, we can conjure up new ways of commerce, new ways of of living that support and nurture us over time, that support and nurture us not only individually but collectively. It, these are very powerful times. I suggest to you that incredible resources are going to come forward in the next several years in the sense of I've been on this planet now over six decades and I've watched the uh, the American people go through struggle after struggle after struggle and what I've noticed is it it takes a while sometimes for us to identify what we don't like about what's going on and it takes us a while to sometimes get the resolve if the struggle isn't very intense we might just sit it out but I tell you <laughs> people are pretty much fed up with the notion of let's wait for somebody else to fix it the the American populace and I suggest it doesn't have to be limited just to Americans people all over the world are kind of fed up with this this um, singular storyline where um, all the governments of the planet parrot each other and, and they all walk in goose step about what we should all be doing. And I think there's something fundamentally wrong that rubs us wrong individually as citizens all over the planet that the narrative that we're, we're playing out now has some fundamental problems with it some fundamental um, metrics that just don't serve us. And so I suggest to you that it would serve you well and the collective well to daydream. Our imagination is our ability to transcend the current situation. Our imagination is the vehicle that will bring a new paradigm into what's about to happen as we forge our future. There's a curious thing that happens in in hero movies. If you think about a hero movie, the first 20 minutes of a hero movie, more or less, is the definition of a villain, a definition of something that is larger than the everyday person can comprehend a solution to. The whole idea behind a hero is an exceptional person, somebody not cut from the fabric of, of the collective, but an exceptional 
person who can transcend the paradigm, the narrative, that the rank and file people cannot. Every hero movie has has a defining villain at the beginning, and then the hero steps up and says, not on my watch, and then the movie plays out how the hero brings about a new outcome, a new paradigm. So we can all be everyday heroes by by raising our intelligence, raising our awareness. What is it about the systems in our life right now that don't serve us? Like I said, we can recognize this during the storm now. Small businesses are really, really being challenged. What would be a new narrative, a new paradigm that would support small businesses when there's this kind of upheaval? Daydream, imagine, contemplate some of the attributes of what the solution would be because we're going to choose collectively as a society how this is going to turn out. We're going to choose collectively as a society which which narratives, which paradigms, which stories for the future that we want to have. The slate is clean about what we can create. We can transcend our past, and I think as the show said so well, the evolution of our consciousness, the, the call to evolution, a global shift now, is asking us to do just that, to do just that. You know... I love bringing episodes to you like the one tonight. Dr. Irvin Laszlo really has a passionate, um, passionate heart, and he's he's very motivated to help us recognize what we can do to bring about a new narrative. It's been great having him back on the show again. He's always a uh, uh, a delight and an insightful guest as far as some of the choices we can come up with to create the future that will serve us, that will give us the choices, that will the ability to roll with the punches and not be clobbered so hard next time a challenge comes around. Hey, I want to thank you, the listener. You showed up for yourself. You listened to this episode. You've got some skin in the game. Yeah, I also want to thank Susan, who works behind the scenes at New Human Living Radio and really does a fantastic job lining up the guests. We're typically booked out several months, and Susan does a great job, just like tonight. This was, The pre-record was, I think it was on a weekend because Dr. Irving was in Italy, and we had to find a time zone that worked for both of us. So I want to thank Susan for all the effort she puts out to make sure these shows happen. We're coming up on our 10th year of the show, and it's, it's, it gives me such a deep pleasure to, to bring a voice to people like Dr. Irving um, to create a platform where that message can get out and we can we can all collectively share our thoughts and create the future that will serve us. Hey, I'm your host, Les Jensen. 
It's always a pleasure spending this time with you. Until next time, thanks for listening. This has been a New Human Living Radio broadcast. To bring your soul's inspiration into effect and live your life wide open. Check out our host, Les Jensen's latest book, Citizen King, The New Age of Power, at newhumanliving.com. Thanks for listening.